Welcome to Doing Time with Joe. I'm your host, Joe Baker. And I'm your co-host, Anais Lucia. And Welcome to Doing Time with Joe. I'm your host, Joe Baker. And I'm your co-host, Anais Lucia. And today's episode is about Joe acknowledged the pain that he caused his victims. So, Joe, did you want to, you know, start off describing the event that led to your acknowledgement? I will. I will. All right. Well, um... I was facing uh, a murder trial that they were asking for the death penalty on. And my lawyer, he had hired a jury consultant uh, to, you know, kind of put me in the best light in the event that I would be found guilty so that the jury and the judge would have this information about me, how I was raised, and so on and so forth. And they could go over when they make their determination whether to give me the death penalty penalty or not, right? So... While I was meeting with the jury consultant, I was asked what I thought about my mother's death and what I remembered. I responded that she did that she died when I was seven from breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the jury consultant looked at me puzzled, and uh, he informed me that he had spoken with my family and that they, and that they had said there were rumors that my mother had been murdered. She did not have breast cancer, as I thought. You know, that's what you know I'd been told the whole time. Mm-hmm. I was growing up, you know, it kind of confused me. I really didn't believe what he was saying. Uh, so I felt like it was a mistake or whatever, you know, because I had been told that she died from breast cancer, and that's what I believe to be true. Uh, it was the only truth that I knew. So I had to leave the meeting, you know, and uh, I wanted to call my grandmother to find out, you know, if this was, you know, was a mistake or not or what was going on, because he seemed pretty sure about what he was talking about. He said he had talked to both of my grandparents and other people in the family that my grandparents felt like, you know, he needed to talk to. So when I called my grandmother, uh, she eventually, you know, admitted that she had heard the rumors about, you know, how my mother died, you know, uh, because nothing was ever proven and I was so young, she felt it best not to tell me at the time. So Mm. uh, she said as I grew older, it became less and less important and that she was sorry and she should have shared that information with us, you know, me and my brother and sisters. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted the details, and after I had gotten them, you know, that's when I got pissed off about everything, you know, because the details were pretty gruesome. The rumor was that my mother was murdered by a man that I knew. I'd always called him uncle, so I'm not going to mention his name uh, in this, uh, but I called him uncle. But he was really a distant cousin. Uh, he was a drug dealer. <clears throat> and some people also said he was a pimp from, you know, up in Detroit somewhere. I just never really knew if that was true. And uh, I was told that he had stashed some drugs at my auntie's house. Uh, that was my mother's sister. Uh, so when he went back for them, they were gone. And he mistakenly thought that my mother knew where they were. So at this time now, keep in mind, my mother was in the hospital, right? So she had to go to the hospital for uh, what they said back in the day, you know, female problems. Meaning my mother, she was bleeding excessively, right? So she had to check herself in the hospital so they could figure out what was going on, you know. And uh, so he went to the hospital. But she had checked herself in, and his intentions were, from what I was told, was to shoot my mother up with drugs and, you know, try to make her talk, you know. And, uh, oh, wow. He didn't believe my mother when she said that she didn't know where the drugs were. Mm. So when the nurse came in, he hid the heroin in her tampon so the nurse wouldn't see it. Then he left the room and didn't come back, you know. I guess the nurse spooked him. Oh, wow. So the nurse unknowingly, you know, used the tampon on my mother when she changed my mother's tampon. Mm. 
and there was a lethal amount of heroin in there and uh, it just seeped into my mother's bloodstream and she died of pulmonary edema. Basically what that means is she drowned, you know, on her own fluids, you know. And uh, when it was described to me, it was like, you know, a horrific way to die. And I had a hard time wrapping my brain around it because I had grown up thinking that my mother died from breast cancer all the time. So, and I just got angry, you know, and all kind of questions were running through my head. And I, honestly, you know, I wanted to kill it for what it did to my mom and he had taken her away from me and my brother and sister. And, uh, and, I, and it had a lot to do with, you know, in my opinion, the way my life turned out. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> the more I got upset about it, it just broke me more hurt and anger I was. I finally just broke down and uh, after I got off the phone. And then that's when it hit me that uh, the, the way I felt about him was the same way that my victim's family must feel about me. Mm. You know, all that hate, you know, despair that I felt for him is exactly what they were feeling for me, I assume. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just yelling out into, you know, I'm in my cell and I'm just yelling out to them, you know. I was sorry and I was ashamed of what I had done and it was right about that moment I I started to, to feel like you know it was my mama's presence in the room and you know and I could feel like you know she was disappointed in me and what I had done and that's when I you know finally come you know full circle and wanted to do something to let them know that I was sorry for what I had done you know and I don't know what good it would have done at that time or anything like that, but that's just what washed over me, and that's what's been, you know, driving me, you know, this whole time, you know. So that's the moment that I truly acknowledged, you know, what um, what I had done, you know. That's what that's what did it for me because I've been waiting a few years to go to trial, and you know, that's what that when I heard about that, that's what hit me. That's when it hit me. You know, mm-hmm. why do you think it took this situation to make you acknowledge what you had done? Well, I was in the I was in denial. Mm-hmm. I uh, I was one of those types of people that you know I could compartmentalize real good, especially when dealing with my emotions. If I wasn't around somebody that I knew cared about me, I, I wouldn't break down like that. You mm-hmm. know, uh, and being locked up, you know, I just couldn't. I just would not show that side of me to people. I don't know these people, you know. They don't really know me. And you, you get cool with some people, but over time, but you got to remember that was at the beginning of my prison experience. So I really didn't know that many people. The people that I had gotten to know, it was just it was like a transactional type of relationship, you know. You know, I did things for them. They did things for me. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't about you know real brotherhood growing up together anything like that it was just you know you meet somebody in prison you get cool with them and you know y'all break bread and that's about it but I was in denial and I think that uh, that situation you know once I learned about it you know it it made me see it you know and uh, it made me see exactly what it was that I had done uh, not to say that I didn't understand intellectually, I understood what I had done, but emotionally, I just I wouldn't, I didn't want to show that side of me. I didn't want people to know that, you know, I was sorry for what I had done. Not because I wasn't sorry, but because um, it makes you look weak in here. And mm-hmm. so I put on like everybody else put on. And after a while, 
you know, it just seems like I became numb, you know, and that, you know, learning about, you know, the rumors surrounding my mother's death, that, that broke that ice, that I, I couldn't stay numb anymore, you know. And how did it feel for you, like, when you had that acknowledgement? Like, did you, like, it was it like, kind of like a breakdown or just, or? Yeah. Yeah, I broke down. I broke down because it was like, um, this is my mother. Um, you know, my mom, she died when I was seven. Mm. And I, I don't know what my family thought as far as, you know, not telling me, but I do understand why, because when my mother passed away, um, I stopped talking for about three months. You know, they had to take me out of school, mm-hmm. and you know, I just shut down. And they really didn't know <laughs> from what my family tells me. They really didn't know if I would ever talk again and how, you know, my life was going to be. You know, because it just totally shut me down. Because like when, when you know, my mom she had bad migraines. You know, and whenever she would have migraine headaches, she'd come grab me, and I'd jump in her arms and I'd wrap my arms and legs around and she would just rock back and forth and when she would do that you know she kissed me on the jaw tell me that I made her feel better and stuff like that so I was real close to my mother you know mm-hmm. and when that happened when my mother died and uh, left us like that it, it messed me up and over time like I say those three months I never said a word not one word and I remember when when I did start talking again um it was my auntie, my great auntie, Grace. She had, uh, I was in the kitchen at my grandmother's house. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother, she had bought some Kentucky Fried Chicken, mashed potatoes, and biscuit. I'll never forget it. And I had just gotten used to, you know, just going to the kitchen, sitting in the chair, and they would fix my plate. I didn't have to say anything, you know. Everybody knew what I was going through. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting there, and I'm not talking to my auntie, Grace. She's like, you're going to have to say, you're going to have to tell me what you want. I'm not going to fix your plate. And I just sat there. I'm knowing she's got to feed me. You know, she's not going to not feed me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, so anyway, I'm just sitting there. I'm not going to say anything. And then she started crying. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I looked at her. And, and, and I looked at her. I just kept looking. I put my hands on her face. And I told her, I said, it's going to be all right. And that was the first word I said in three months and I didn't realize that the rest of the family had gotten behind me you know, because I couldn't see my children's facing away from them and everybody was behind me this whole time and you know it, when I said that to my auntie everybody you know they grabbed me and kissed me and talked and all that and I'm like give me my potatoes so I can eat you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. and uh, then you know that that's when I started talking and that's you know that that's the that's why you know, it affected me so much because I was so close to my mother and mm. I was so close to my mother. And my, you know, it's weird because my brother, you know, he was older than me and my sister was younger than me and I'm, I'm right in the middle and it's just, it affected me the worst out mm-hmm. of everybody, you know. Yeah. Um, not to say it didn't affect them like that, but, you know, we've had that conversation, you know, me and my brother and sister and it, and, and it's, we have, you know, come to the consensus that it, it affected me the worst. And, uh, that's why the situation got me like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And why do you think it took that specific event to get your attention more than like your family and friends? I think I think that was I'm a believer. Let me say that. You know, anybody that's been listening to the show knows that by now. But 
I believe that that was God's way of getting through to me. Um, you know, I look back on that, and I don't see that as, um, I used to see that as my mom shaming me, you know, showing how disappointed she was in me, but, you know, when I look about it, look back on that and think about it, I, I don't think that at all anymore. I think that was that was her love for me. She was showing me that uh, through this through this situation that um, this has to happen. I, I have to know the truth because if I don't know the truth, I'm not going to be able to relate to the pain that I caused our victims. And I had to know that. Mm-hmm. And through that act of love uh, in my mom, that being my God communicating to me, you know, to me through my mom's voice. Because I, 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 to this day, I will tell you, I know I heard my mother's voice, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think if it would not have been for that, I don't think that I would have opened back up. You know, I think that I would have stayed shut down, stayed numb, and, and who knows what type of person I would have turned out to be in here, you know. Yeah. And how did this event change your life? Uh, well, I believe that it changed my life uh, in a whole lot of ways. The main way is that it, it set me on the course of uh, redemption. Mm. Uh, and I wanted to do whatever I had to do to apologize to my victims, to, uh, let them know that I was sorry. And I know, you know, part of that requires, you know, a person to change. Mm-hmm. And now keep in mind, now I'm no saint. And it took me a while to get to the point that I am now. Uh, but the whole, the whole time, you know, that I've been in here, I've always remembered and stayed, you know, connected to that pain that I caused. In fact, I actually prayed and asked God to never let me forget what that feels like mm-hmm. so that uh, I won't, you know, make that same mistake again. I don't want to ever uh, cause that kind of pain for anybody ever again. I, whenever I share this story with guys in here, I tell them that, uh, uh, that if it ever came down to a situation between me somebody else and I pray and ask God to let it be me because I don't want to cause that pain for anybody else ever again you know and uh, they look at me crazy like you tripping because <laughs> you know I do want to live but I, I, I'm i so in tune with what that what I did mm-hmm. the pain that it caused I, I just don't want to do that again I'm not going to you know like I said I pray and ask God if it ever comes to that down to that that I have the strength to, you know, just let it be me mm-hmm. and not them, you know. Yeah, yeah. And it's changed me like that. It, it set me on a course to be a better person, a better human being, and uh, do whatever I have to do to make amends to my family, my, my, my victim's family, and my family, you know, and my friends, you know. And society, too. I just think that, you know, when you commit, you know, the type of crime that I committed, that, mm-hmm. You know, the rest of your life should be dedicated to making up for that. But at some point, you know, the, uh, the guilt, uh, it, for me anyway, it's, you know, that the guilt, it just it went away. It's not about guilt, it's mm-hmm. about what I did. It's, I know I'm ashamed of what I did. But now it's about doing the right thing, living the right life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, that is the fullness of the, of what caused me to finally acknowledge, you know, the pain that I caused. And I, I use that word acknowledge because, um, you know, like I said before, emotionally, 
intellectually, I, I knew what I had done, but I didn't want to acknowledge it because it, I, I didn't want to experience that pain. Mm. And like I say, I just became a numb person. And I think that's what happens in here with a lot of guys. You know, uh, they don't want to feel that pain. And I get it. I get it. But that pain that you feel, uh, the truth of the matter, what I've come to understand, that's, that's love. Mm. Not the kind of, not like somebody slapping you, that type of pain. No, that's not what I mean. I'm talking about that emotional pain. Whatever it takes to break through, to, to crack that shell that you try to hide in in here, that's love. Mm. Because if you don't get to that point where you can connect and continue to connect with, you know, other people and, and have those guardrails up that help you steer clear of certain things, you can become a monster. It's very easy. Mm. It is very easy to become a monster. Not just in here, but out there. And sometimes you have to, uh, the experiences, the things you go through in life, sometimes you have to stay connected to those in a way that, like warnings, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like warnings, that letting you know that, look, this is not the road that you want to take. Mm. And, um, you know, yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. That's, that's how I feel about that, isn't it? You know, I think a lot of people may feel the same way, but they don't want to say it out loud because, you know, when I talk to some of my friends in here, um, they say, well, acknowledging the pain ain't going to get you out of prison. I'm like, you're right about that. Mm-hmm. You know, just because you become uh, aware of what you did and you accept responsibility for what you did, that don't mean the prison door is open now. Mm-hmm. But what happens is that you start to develop. I know what happened for me is that I started to develop a sense of responsibility for what I what I did, and, and, and I want to live a different life, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm going to live a different life, whether I'm in here or out there, so, you know, I hope that I've been, uh, uh, hold on, so I hope that I've been informative in this issue as far as, you know, trying to explain to people what it feels like, you know, to acknowledge uh, that type of pain, but... If I haven't, I hope, you know, reach out to me, you know, if if anybody's got any questions about that, reach out to me, let me know, you know, what you really think about it, and uh, I'll surely hit back and uh, let you know what's going on. But if you, you got any more questions about that? Um, What are some ways that you have, you know, made amends? Okay, well, one of the ways that I make amends is that I live a different lifestyle. Uh, well, first, let me back up. Before that, you have to, I believe, you have to verbally, you know, uh, apologize to your victims. And whether they hear it or not, I don't think it's as important as a lot of people think because sometimes the circumstances don't allow for it. Uh, but I created a website called The Apology Project uh, out there, if anybody's interested, where, you know, an inmate that's in prison, you can apologize online to your victims and we post it up there and, and people can read it and see it and maybe hopefully your victims will see it. Mm. Uh, and like I say, I live a different lifestyle. I don't engage in those things because I do believe if you truly, if you're truly about making amends, you do whatever it takes to do that. And, mm. and part of that is changing your lifestyle. That's, those are a couple of the things that I've done to make amends, you know? All right. Well, those are uh, all my questions for this episode. Oh, okay. Well, I want to thank you again for another good episode, you know what I mean? And I'll say this, i got to get in the habit of saying this, you know, uh, if you like the episode and any of the other episodes, you know, follow us, 
share it. And if you feel the need, donate. And I'd like to tell everybody out there that I really appreciate all the support. Uh, and tune in next time. And uh, this has been another episode of Doing Time with Joe. And I'm very appreciative for you, Anna East, and all of my family and friends that continue to make this a possibility. You know, I enjoy doing this every week, and I hope we continue to do it. So, thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you for using GTL. Thank you.